there was a musician who was found wandering the streets in London. On August 22nd, 1741, was a blisteringly hot night in London. And this old, somewhat elderly acting, somewhat elderly looking, hunched over, stooped down musician is wandering the streets of London at night. You see, this musician, he's fallen on hard times. He's had it rough. The people he was in competition with, really, musically, have now become more popular than he is. And he can't land a contract for anything. On top of that, he's developed this hemorrhage on his right side that just really constantly plagues him. Even walking the streets is not as easy as it used to be, as he wanders every night. So he talked to the doctors and he went and and, and said, well, maybe if you try these miraculous healing pools over in France, that might help you. So he tries and he goes over to France and he sits in these miraculous healing pools of water, sometimes even for just nine hours straight, hoping for that miraculous healing water to do anything. And it, it doesn't. So he comes back, back to England, to wander and try to land a job. His shows, his performances that were scheduled are being canceled by the theaters and by the opera houses that had deals with him. On top of that, his biggest supporter and benefactor, Queen Caroline, dies. And so he wanders the streets, wondering, where is God? Where is God? One of those nights, he goes home. He walks into his house, and there before him, almost as if he had a key, is a man in his living room. This man's name was Charles Gibbon. And Charles Gibbon had gotten some eyebrows raised a few years before because he had rewritten Shakespeare. So this, what appeared to be egotistic, young contemporary, produces for him a musical text that he hoped would be able to have some music along with it. So he sought out this hunched-over, elderly, stooped-over, hemorrhage-ridden man and said, I think you're the guy, and I challenge you to do this. And on his way out of the door, Charles Gibbon turned and said, God has given me these words. And he left. The musician was thinking, well, the nerve of this young guy to come in here, he's already rewritten Scripture, which especially if you're in England, is a no-no. He's already written Shakespeare. And now he comes to him with this musical from both the Old and the New Testament that he wants set to music. So the musician picks it up and he starts thumbing through the pages. And he starts coming across words like, God will give you rest. And he reads further, Oh, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And he reads further, rejoice. And he reads further, 
Hallelujah. And he gets so excited, he picks up his pen and he starts writing music for the first time in years. And in 24 days, George Frederick Handel had completed the Messiah. 24 days. You see, that night and for those next 24 days, George Frederick Handel rediscovered that God is greater than. God is greater than his hard times. God is greater than his hemorrhages and his pain. God is greater than his age when young guys are writing music and he can't land a job anymore. God is greater than his finances, even though he's lost the benefactor of his life. God provides. Handel rediscovered that God is greater than. And so this series we're starting today is week one. Is this greater than series? You may see behind on this TV here, there's that mathematical symbol, right? If you're wondering, will I ever use algebra? Well, the answer is probably no. But this, this is important. You see, it's not an equal sign. You are not equal to God. God is greater than. And if we're going to put ourselves in the right side of this equation, we've got to be on the lesser than side. A lot of us probably find it very easy to, to often just swing over across the other side of this equation and put ourselves as greater than. But through the next today and six weeks going forward, we're going to be diving into some relatively simple but ultimately life-changing concepts that if we apply can shift this equation around to the way it should be in our lives. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about that God is greater than your circumstances. God is greater than your finances. Buckle up for that one. It's going to be a good one. God is greater than your time. What does that even mean? We're going to be talking about it in a couple of weeks. God is greater than your worries. God is greater than your pain. God is greater than you can even imagine. But today, we have to get this equation in the right order. Today is, God is greater than you. I'm like, yeah, I got that, right? All right, y'all go home. It's cool. It's been a good day. We've learned it. Turn with me to 1 John. Not the book of John, but 1 John. It's right before Revelation, which is where that video we just watched came from, the revelation of John. So it was right before that First John chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. And this is going to be on screen as well, if you'd like to follow along. And John in prison writes this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence, whenever our hearts condemn us. For here it is, for God is greater than. God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. 
You see, this series we're getting ready to dive into, it's not about saying God is greater. It's about living God is greater. And that's what John reminds us here. Because we can say a lot of things that you don't really mean. Like Pokemon Go is an awesome game. If you don't get that, just let that joke breeze right over you. I'm in that group with you. This series is not about saying God is greater. It's about living God is greater. You can say, I love you, and not mean it. And how many of us in here and out there would be saved from painful relationships if we meant what we said when we said it? For better or for worse. You can say God is greater, and you cannot live it. There's a shattering biblical truth we're going to look at that we don't like to hear. It's not about the world that we don't like to hear. And this is true, it's from Scripture. You can believe that there is a God and not be a Christian. You can believe that there is a God. You can say that there is a God and you are not a Christ follower. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is a God. Good. Way to go. Even the demons believe that and they shudder, they tremble, they shake. Even the demons, even the devil believes that there's a God. Congratulations. You can say that there is a God. You can believe that there is a God. And you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a Christ follower or a disciple. So it's not just saying that there is a God. It's living like there is one. And living like that God is on the right side of that equation we keep talking about. Greater than. A Christ follower, a disciple, that's someone who knows and trusts Jesus as their Savior. And they are a constant, daily, increasingly consistent, disciplined learner and liver of God's sovereign will in their life. It's not just believing that there is a God. Believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Living like God is greater than. There's a funny story. <coughs> Excuse me. A guy named Mr. Arnold. Mr. Arnold. Maybe he's Arnold. Different Arnold. Mr. Arnold. I'm not going to say it that way. Mr. Arnold, a businessman from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He went on a business trip to Amarillo, Texas. Now, if you've ever been to Texas, I haven't. It's this word called hot over there, right? So he immediately sent an email back home to his wife, Paula. And this is in the early days of email where they didn't have automatic contacts and you had to type in the addresses, right? And when you booted up the computer and went, <laughs> you might not remember that. Just if you don't know what I'm talking about, again, that joke is not for you. So, so he types in his, his email address, but unfortunately, he got the email address wrong. And he, instead of sending it to his wife, Paula, it ended up going to a Mrs. P. Arnold in Rapid City, South Dakota, a pastor's wife, the wife of a preacher who unfortunately had just passed away. 
The preacher's wife, Penny, took one look at the email and promptly fainted because the message read, Arrived safely, but it sure is hot down here. You see, one day, we're going to meet God. We are. It's a guarantee that a lot of us don't like to constantly think about. But one day, we're going to meet God, and in that moment, you will either be in heaven or it's hot down here. But the response Jesus tells us that we should desire is what? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well said, good and faithful servant. I love the way you talked about me that one time. It was great. And then you turned around and you went back to your addictive habits and cursing me behind your back. Well said, good and faithful servant. That's not the way this works. It's well done, like a steak. Well done, good and faithful servant. And John's words again remind us that that our, our speaking needs to match up with our acting. Our words need to match our actions. And a lot of us can say, there is a God. But unless we believe in Him and live like He is greater than, we're not getting it. We're not living it. This greater than God who loves you, who loves you, sent His Son to die for you. Despite our, on the right end of this equation, despite our less than status so that by believing in him and living out that relationship you might better know him and his greater than ability in your life psalm chapter 143 verse 3 simply says this great is the lord and most worthy of praise his greatness his greater thanness no one can fathom we can't even try to understand how great our God is. Psalm 150, the last psalm in the Bible, says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, including for His greatness. And if you've been in church a long time, that's where that song comes from. Let everything that, let everything that... We need to have a throwback Sunday one day, and we'll just <laughs> sing a bunch of the, you know, circa 1991 songs that don't get sung anymore. Shout to the Lord. Anyway, um, so that day doesn't become today. I'm going to keep moving through my notes uh, here. But let everything that has breath praise the Lord for His greatness. So again, this series is not just about believing in God. It's about putting Him in the place He deserves, on the right side of that equation, because He is greater than This text passage is going to be on screen, but it's a long one. So, woo! 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 16 through 40. That's right, 16 through 40. So if you'd like a Bible, it's over there underneath our prayer board to follow along with. Otherwise, that's what you got. Um, if you just want to listen along, um, hopefully my storytelling abilities are going to be on point this morning. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, who was the king, with a nasty wife named Jezebel. That's a story for another day. And told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? 
verse 18. Elijah said, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. They started worshiping this God named Baal, a Phoenician god, rather than Yahweh. You and your family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at, here's her name, Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God... Follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the fire, or put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, little g, the Baals, and I will call on the name of the Lord. All caps. Woo, that's my God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Fair test, right? Fair game. Then all the people said, what you say is good. All right. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since, you know, there's so many of you, there's near a thousand, you know. Take one of the bulls, you take that, take your time. You know, take to Baal. Thanks. And choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, and I love this, and again, if you, don't, if you think the Old Testament is boring, you're wrong. So at verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He's making fun of them. Shout louder, he said. You know, surely he is a God. You know what? Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's meditating, right? Maybe he's, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on a conference call um, or traveling. Yeah. Yep, your God could be traveling to Samaria. So, you know what? Maybe he's sleeping. You know what? So, um, just shout louder and um, you'll be okay. And so he'll get awakened. So, verse 28. So, they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, weird, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. So, they've already been doing this for hours and hours. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. So they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Because no one had been worshiping God. So Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. The people he's trying to get through to again. And remember who God is? Remember that guy who parted the waters, who got us out of slavery, who created the world, who led us to conquer this land, even though we then slacked off, who led us to part of the waters of the Jordan? Remember that guy, manna from heaven, pillar of fire, night, pillar of cloud by day? Remember that God? Yeah, 
I'm trying to get through to you. So he took a stone for each one of them and put them on the, the altar to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, a little moat, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Large amount, don't worry about it. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So they did it. Verse 34, Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. This object, this sacrifice, this altar, this wood that's supposed to about to be consumed by fire is soaking, sopping wet. And if you've ever been camping and you don't have dry wood, just imagine that. It's bad. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now here's prayer, and I'm going to come back to this later. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. That soaking wet sacrifice incinerated from the fire of the Lord. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. A lot going on in this story, right? There's some questions we have to ask ourselves in preparation for four things we're going to learn from Elijah today about greater than and what it means for us. First question is, are you the king of your own life? Who is greater than to you? Is there? Or are you just top of the pyramid? Bag of chips and all that. Brightest crown in the box. Sharpest knife in the drawer. Crispiest pickle in the jar. Who is the greater than to you? Also, is there some Baal-like thing that is the God of your life in His place? Maybe it's your job. Maybe your job just reigns supreme. And God's maybe like two or three, but He's not number one. Because you've got a job, man. People are counting on you to do that job. And if you don't do that job... Then your finances get messed up, right? So maybe it's the finances that reign supreme and sovereign in your life. Because you need those finances. You need, that, you need that money. Everybody, you know, it's like that, you know, it's a wonderful life quote from Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart says, well, money comes down here pretty good, Bob. Comes in pretty handy. 
Maybe it's not your money. Maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's your anxiety or your fear. And you just look to the future and you're petrified or you're scared and I have to make plans. And so you're like a chipmunk that just shoves stuff in your cheeks for a rainy day. Stuffed under a mattress. Well, I might use that one day and hoard it. Maybe it's control is the God of your life. Because you like things in its place, just where it should be all the time. No, don't touch that. Pretend no one lives here, but we live here. Maybe that's the God of your life. And so these next few weeks, we're going to be trying to put this equation, (laughs) turn that little thing around the right way, so that we are on the right side of that equation, where we should be. Not greater than, and also that a different thing doesn't occupy that spot of greater than. But God. So there are four things we're going to learn today from this story and Elijah about what greater than means. Here's the first one. Elijah knew who was greater than in his life. Elijah knew who was greater than in his life. There was no doubt in his mind. Even the soaked stones and wood gave man an opportunity to say, that right there is impossible. Nope, can't happen. Ain't, ain't going to never happen. Nope, can't do it. It's too wet, it's too soaked. God's like, nope, I'm greater than. And his greater than, Elijah's greater than, came through. Because that's what a greater than does. That's what God does. The second thing we can learn from Elijah today Elijah got rid of all impersonators, all the gods and their followers. That's why we finished all the way through verse 40 there. Like, why did we end on the whole slaughter in the valley thing? We could have two verses before, we wouldn't have to breeze over that, that would be fine. No, we had to finish that part of the story because that's just as important as everything else. Elijah got rid of that. He had all the 450 prophets and 400 followers brought down to this valley and slaughtered. Fun fact, I know Tony likes fun facts. That valley today is called Nar el Mokata. In other words, that means the river of slaughter. To this day, to this day, going back to this moment in history. So you need to be thinking about, in your life, what are those Baal-like things that you need to eliminate? You need to trust God to get rid of, to remove, to destroy, permanently, once and done for all. To put God back in His rightful place in your life. The third thing we're going to learn from Elijah today is that his words matched his actions. Just like John talked about in our first passage. His words matched his actions. He knew that to demonstrate his faith to the Israelites, he had to put it to the test. He didn't light the fire himself, but he waited on the Lord to do it. His words matched his actions. He said, I believe in God, and I believe that that God, my God, can do this. And I, furthermore, I don't just believe that mine 
can, I believe that yours can't. And we're going to have it out. Another fun fact, fun fact number two, I know Tony. Kaishan, K-I-S-H-O-N, had this name, this valley named long before Elijah was there. You know what that name means before it now became Nar el Nokata? Kaishan means to ensnare or to trap. Elijah set a trap for what wasn't God. And this name lived up to its purpose that day. And some of us need to have that mentality. You know what? I'm going to figure out. I'm going to snap. I'm going to set a trap, right? I'm going to go through my calendar. I'm going to go through my schedule. I'm going to go through my checkbook. I'm going to go through my lifestyle. And I'm going to see and wait, just like a spider. I'm going to see and wait to see what happens, to see where my priorities, my choices aren't for God. And I'm going to find that thing, and I'm going to destroy that thing, I'm going to get rid of that thing, I'm going to throw out that thing, I'm going to slaughter that thing, I'm going to stop that thing. Because it takes me in the wrong part of the equation. And it directs my life away from God. The fourth thing, Elijah, we can learn from Elijah today is that his purpose was not to make himself the greater than in this equation. That's not why Elijah did what he did. And I said, we're going to come back to it, and here it is. That prayer that Elijah prayed said, O Lord, verse 36, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God, not me, that you are God in Israel, and that I am your, what, if you're following along, servant. I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. You see, Elijah's got himself, no matter what happens, on the right side of this equation, where he should be. He says, I'm less than. I'm the servant. You are the greater than. And even if all this stuff happens, even if the fire comes down and it burns up the wood, and it burns up the bull, and it burns up the sacrifice, and it burns up the stones, and it burns up the soil, and it burns up the soaked in water seed, even if it does all that, that's not for me. That's for you. Because the God I know needs to be God of not just my life, but of Israel's. That's why Elijah did what he did. His purpose was to make himself the greater than in the equation. So God is not greater than in you, so that by you knowing Him, you can be known as greater than. I'll say that again, it's a mouthful. God is not greater than you, so that by you knowing Him, you can be known as greater than. Look at me, check out my God. Bam. God is greater than you, so that others can know through you that He is greater than. We uh, are shifting things around, obviously, here at, at True Life Church. It's an exciting time. Hiring some staff. We launched the vision. Moving forward. God is good. And we created a, a new kind of organizational workflow chart, because now we have to have one, which is kind of exciting. And so we share that with the elders and with the staff, so that we all know where everyone falls, right? And at the top of our page, 
There's these three little letters. G-O-D. It's an umbrella over everything. Because God is greater than. This isn't a pastor-led church or a staff-led church or even a congregational-led church. It's D, all of the above. Because we fall under greater than. God is at the top for us. So again, these questions that we have to ask ourselves in order for this greater than series to really get down into the nitty-gritty, ugly, dirty part of our lives that we're like, ah, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that. I've got everything in control. Oh, do you? Is he greater than then? I've got this faith thing. I talk about God all day. Do you? Do you live it? Is he greater than? So these questions. Number one, are you king of your own life? Is this just a, not even an equation for you? It, does this just not have this little sideways looking ugly V thing? And it's just like, me? There's not even an equation. It's just like, there I am. I turn on the light switch and I said, it is good. We were putting together furniture from Ikea yesterday in the office. We just got almost finished. and It's like, we, oh, I have made, made furniture. Made, ta-da, look what I have made. Imagine we had that, imagine we had that mentality, but a lot of us do. It's just, ta-da. No, you, you went to a, a store over in Orlando and, and bought that, and it came in a box, and then some cardboard factory press object thing in Sweden put this in a box with annoying directions for you so that you could try to figure out how to put that out. You didn't make this. In the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks is running around on the beach in his shorts, and he's like, I, I have made fire. You know, like very caveman-esque, right? You should have just looked around like, man, where am I? God made this. Look at all this. Coconuts and beach. All these animals. So who is king of your life? Is God greater than? Second question again, is there some Baal-like thing? Is there an object? Is there a bad habit that is part of your life that you can't lick? I've got a friend who is about my age. We've talked about him anonymously a couple of times here before in these messages. And he's been having, up until a few months ago, a really hard time with alcoholism. Even at a young age. Not even 30. Today he is 65 days sober and clean. Because he has shifted his life around and he's listened to sermons and podcasts and diving in the Word because just like Handel, he's rediscovered that God is the greater than in the equation of his life. He can't do this by himself, neither can you. But the greater than in this equation can. Is there something in your life that you just need to drop today? Not another day with this habit. Not another day with these choices. Not, a, not another day with this Baal-like idol lording over your life. For you youngins, could even be Xbox. I want you to think about everything. What is lording over your life? 
Third question for us today. Has your purpose in knowing God been to be the taker of the equation rather than the giver? Because this less than always submits to what? The greater than. It always does. I'm watching BBC Earth. I watch some really silly stuff on Netflix streaming. And so I'm watching BBC Earth and David Attenborough with his fabulous old British voice is narrating about animals. And man, there's everything you can think of. There's kangaroos and like lionfish and octopi, right? Yeah, there's my fancy word for the day. Multiple octopuses, right? Octopi and kangaroos. I said kangaroos and bears and, and mountain goats and, and, and wild dogs on the African plain and meerkats and chimpanzees. And you can just keep going because all of them understand this. And every one of their little worlds, even down to the ant, there is a top of the pyramid. There is someone greater than. Could be the queen ant. There is one leader. I didn't know this. Fun fact number three. There is one leader of a meerkat colony. Just one. That, that dude, that one meerkat makes all the choices for everybody. Where they live, where they feed, where they go eat. Who, well, he didn't choose who gets killed by cobras. That's episode three, in case you're curious. So... And every, in the chimpanzees, like there is a greater than, like this, this one or two like really hairy looking ape guys that are just like in charge of everyone else and they get this, the rights to the, the, the first fruits, huh? <coughs> finances, the first fruits, they get the, they get the rights to, to the best tree, they get the first rights to the watering hole, and even the animals get this. Sometimes... We don't. So has your purpose been subtly, maybe you haven't thought about it, but because I know God, maybe I'll be blessed, right? Yeah, just because I know Him. Just because I say that there's a God. I show up to church every Sunday, and I got this thing down. I just show up, and just because I know God, I'm going to leave, and there's going to be a paycheck, like a bonus, just a giant bonus waiting in my mailbox for me because I went to church, or because I believe that there is a God, but I don't live like there is one in my life. Maybe there's some quiet, unspoken agenda. Maybe good things are just going to happen to you because you're here. Fourth question we need to ask ourselves today. Do your words match your actions? Do you simply say, I believe there is a God. But you spend no time, no effort in getting to know Him. Do you simply say that God is greater than? God's greater than. But do you not live a God is greater than lifestyle? Because this simple equation shifts the way you live your life forever. Again, you may have wondered if spending time in algebra was ever going to be useful. And we talked about no. It's, it's not really. It's not really. But again, there is one equation that we're going to keep driving home over the next few weeks. And the more we live this equation out in our lives, the more He's going to prove it to us, just like to Elijah. The more He's going to prove this, that He is greater than. The more we live this out, the more He is going to prove it to us, and through us. Because His greatness is not about ours. When we allow His greatness, His greater than, to dwell within our lives, that's for others. 
to us and through us. God is greater than. Let's pray.